Hello, thank you for listening to Rapid ONG for Medical Students. My name is uh, Dr Helen Stevenson and I'm joined today by Professor Justin Clark to discuss the diagnosis and investigation of heavy menstrual bleeding. So Professor Clark, thank you for joining me today. What is heavy menstrual bleeding? Well, the National Institute of Health and Care Excellence, or NICE for short, define heavy menstrual bleeding as excessive menstrual blood loss which interferes with a woman's physical, emotional, social and material quality of life. A more objective definition will be blood loss of more than 80 mils per cycle because only 5% of women lose more blood per cycle than this. But such a definition is not useful clinically as measuring blood loss is impractical outside of research trials. In practice we ask questions such as how often are you changing your sanitary products and do you pass any clots of blood or flood through clothing during a menstrual cycle? And this gives us an idea of how heavy the bleeding is. The important thing to elucidate, however, is how her menstrual bleeding impacts on her daily quality of life. Okay, so what information would you want to gain from the patient's clinical history? Well, the impact of heavy menstrual bleeding on a woman's quality of life may not just relate to the amount of bleeding, but also to other associated symptoms. These can include cycle irregularity, prolonged bleeding, frequent scheduled bleeding, breakthrough or intermenstrual bleeding, as well as menstrual pain termed dysmenorrhea, and physical and mental premenstrual symptoms, which are collectively known as premenstrual syndrome. In older women, perimenopausal symptoms, such as hot flushes and sweats at night, may be present. So a good menstrual history should capture these associated symptoms, as this will help diagnose the most likely underlying pathologies and aid selection of the most appropriate treatments. Fertility and contraceptive wishes are also important to ascertain from the outset, as many surgical and medical treatment choices are either contraceptive or, for that matter, preclude future fertility. So the clinical history is very important then, but are there certain women that are more likely to suffer from heavy menstrual bleeding? Well, that's a good question. Uh, heavy menstrual bleeding can affect women of reproductive age, but it appears to be more common in women who have had children and are over 40 years of age. About one third of women will class their periods as heavy. Heavy menstrual bleeding is one of the commonest reasons for consultation in primary care and referral to gynaecologists. So it's a pretty common problem, but what actually causes heavy menstrual bleeding? Well, there are several potential causes which may occur in isolation or in combination. However, most women do not have any recognisable pathology and the heavy menstrual blood loss is thought to re reflect disturbances of local endometrial haemostasis, such as deficiencies in local production of vasoconstrictors, such as prostaglandin F2-alpha. This has been described in textbooks as dysfunctional uterine bleeding, although we tend to lose this term uh, less nowadays. You mentioned there were several causes? Well, yes, that's true. Uh, the, most, the second most likely cause of heavy menstrual bleeding uh, is uterine fibroids, or leiomyomas, which are estrogen-dependent benign tumours of smooth muscle and connective tissue. Intramural fibroids are confined to the uterine muscle, that is the myometrium. Subserosal fibroids arise from the myometrium but extend into the serosal surface of the uterus, whereas submucosal fibroids grow into the endometrial cavity itself. Submucosal fibroids, which distort the uterine cavity, are thought to be particularly significant in the causation of the heavy menstrual bleeding. So is it true to say fibroids will always cause menstrual symptoms? No, uh, that is not in fact the case. Whilst fibroids are detected in approximately 40% of women uh, undergoing ultrasound scans, not all will cause symptoms. However, the larger the size or number of fibroids, then the greater are the likelihood of menstrual symptoms, as well as pressure or bulk symptoms. 
What do you mean by bulk symptoms? Well, symptoms such as abdominal distension, bladder symptoms like urinary frequency and urinary retention, bowel symptoms, and even respiratory symptoms such as breathlessness if the fibroids become exceptionally large. Okay, now you mention it, I've heard fibroids can increase the size of the uterus to that of a full-term pregnancy. Uh, that is true, but it's unusual. Most fibroids are less than 5 centimetres in maximum dimension. They tend to regress after the menopause because the growth of fibroid is oestrogen dependent. Are there any other causes we should consider? Well, a useful way to think of the causes of heavy periods is to split them into structural and non-structural causes. Fibroids, which we discussed, would be a uterine structural cause, as would polyps arising from the womb lining, or more correctly the endometrium, adenomyosis, and endometrial hyperplasia, and more rarely endometrial cancer. Okay, let's take those one by one. I understand polyps arise from the endometrium as opposed to fibroids which come from the muscle or the myometrium. That's correct. So what's adenomyosis? Adenomyosis refers to the presence of endometrial glands and stroma within the myometrium. This is ectopic endometrial tissue and it, and it will respond to cyclic hormonal changes and is thought to contribute to increased uterine volume, pain and bleeding. And endometrial hyperplasia? This refers to over-proliferation or thickening of the endometrium and is caused by excess, excessive stimulation by the hormone estrogen. This can arise in older women nearing the menopause where ovulation may not occur, which in turn means that the hormone progesterone is not produced. The hormone progesterone opposes the stimulatory effect of estrogen on the endometrium. Obese women are also more at risk of this condition because estrogen is also produced in adipose tissue. Endometrial cancer is uncommon in women of reproductive age, but endometrial hyperplasia is thought to be a potential precursor. What about the non-structural causes you mentioned? These include disorders of ovulation affecting hormonal regulation of the endometrium, as well as primary endometrial disorders, which we've already discussed, whereas there is a disturbance in the mechanisms regulating blood loss from the endometrium. The role of upper genital tract infection, known as pelvic inflammatory disease, is less well defined. Coagulopathies, such as von Willebrand's disease, although rare, should be considered, especially in adolescent girls. Iatrogenic causes include medicated or inert intrauterine coils and some pharmacologic agents, such as anti the anticoagulant warfarin. Hold on, though. I've heard that bleeding can also come from the neck of the womb or the cervix. That's true, but cervical cancers, or polyps, or infection, which we call cervicitis, tend to cause irregular bleeding or bleeding in between their periods or after intercourse. So do you investigate for all these causes in women with heavy menstrual bleeding? Not necessarily. Your initial investigations will depend on the history and examination findings. So what would you look for on examination? You look for signs of anemia, such as pale conjunctiva. Pelvic examination, that is a speculative inspection of the cervix, followed by a vaginal examination to palpate the pelvis, although not mandatory at an initial presentation, can provide valuable, valuable information that can influence further management. For example, cervical cancer can be excluded, and in large uterus, which may suggest fibroids or adenomyosis, ovarian masses can be detected, and uterine immobility may suggest the presence of adhesions arising from conditions such as endometriosis and past pelvic infection. During the speculum examination, high vaginal and endocervical swabs can be taken if pelvic infection is suspected. Are there any blood tests that can help? The only blood test to do routinely is a full blood count, taken to look for anemia, which can be easily rectified with iron supplementation. Thyroid function tests and coagulation screens should only be performed based upon the preceding clinical history. 
And what about imaging of the pelvis? Well, a pelvic ultrasound scan can be very useful, especially if the pelvic examination is unhelpful, for example, in an obese or a tense patient, or whether pelvic examination reveals an enlarged uterus or a pelvic mass. The ultrasound probe is usually inserted transvaginally because this gives the best higher resolution images of the pelvic structures, that is the endometrium, the uterus and the ovaries. So can a pelvic ultrasound diagnose all structural causes of heavy menstrual bleeding? No, it is most useful detecting fibroids, adenomyosis and ovarian cysts. An individual biopsy, on the other hand, can be performed during a pelvic examination to obtain tissue for histological examination. It is an easy and quick outpatient test, but it can be uncomfortable, so it should be undertaken where endometrial hyperplasia or cancer is suspected. In general, we do an endometrial biopsy in women over the age of 45, those with a recent onset of heavy menstrual bleeding, irregular, irregular or intermenstrual bleeding, and those where the initial treatment has been ineffective. In modern medicine, we seem to be able to put telescopes into body cavities. Is this possible in the uterus? Well, that's certainly true, Helen. Uh, the uterine cavity is no exception. Miniature endoscopes, called hysteroscopes, can be inserted to directly inspect the inside of the uterus to detect polyps, submucous fibres and endometrial disease. It can be performed as an outpatient or under a general anaesthesia. A hysteroscopy is indicated if attempts at obtaining biopsies fail or if the pelvic ultrasound is abnormal, suggesting structural problems in the uterus. Directed biopsies can be taken down the hysteroscope and polyps removed at the same time. Thank you, Professor Clark. That leads us nicely on to our next podcast where we'll be discussing the treatment of heavy menstrual bleeding.